from the book of Acts, and we're going to wrap that up this morning. So, if you'll give me a second to put another hat on, we'll get going. So, the, uh, if you don't know, your pastor is the third string piano player and the third string acoustic guitar player and third string male singer. And when the first stringers and the second stringers are all gone, then he's got to jump on and, and do things that he did a long time ago. So, uh, so anyway, pray for me that I can switch <laughs> my mind right now to the word. Okay, all right, here we go. Let's look at Acts chapter 5. That's what, that's, I'm going to read a passage of scripture this morning from Acts 5, and, um, and we're going to jump all over the book of Acts this morning. So if you've got the version app, you can follow along this morning with the points in the scriptures as we go today. And, um, but let's look at Acts chapter 5, verse, verse 12 through 21. And uh, this is what Luke tells us. The apostles performed many signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. And as a result, people brought the sick into the streets and laid their hands on, laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by impure spirits, and all of them were healed. Then the high priests and all his associates who were members of the party of the Sadducees were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in the public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the doors of the jail and brought them out. And the angel said, go stand in the temple courts and tell the people all about this new life. At daybreak, they entered the temple courts as they had been told and began to teach the people. Lord, I pray this morning that you would just open our hearts and our spirits and our minds to what you want to say to us through your word today. God, I pray you would do a transformative work within our church today, within us as believers, within me as a pastor. God, give us ears to hear, give me the words to say, and we thank you for what you're going to do as we, as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. When we began this, uh, this series on Acts a few weeks ago, I did not know this was going to happen, but I was uh, compared to this famous advertising character. Anybody know who that person is? Who is that? Captain Obvious, okay? Does anybody remember what he promotes? Anybody? Hosedales.com, okay, that's, we know, we know. A few of those uh, people know that, and, and uh it's a fair comparison to make because during the first week of this series, I made a very deep, theological, groundbreaking statement in week one. Notice that is filled with sarcasm. I'm covering everything I just said with sarcasm because I made a statement that turned into a meme. And uh, you, you haven't made it until you turn into a meme and, and until one of the students in the youth group turns you into a meme. And, and, and so apparently in week one, I made this statement. If you're going to baptize 3,000 people in water, you better have some people and some water. <laughs> so if you want to know what that's all about, go back and listen to week one. So this morning, I'm going to give you another. I'm going to start with another Captain Obvious statement. And I actually have a couple today. So here's another meme if anybody wants it. If you're going to have a book called the book of Acts, 
you better have some what? You better have some acts. You better have some actions to write down. And as we've been going through the book of Acts, we read through it during our 21 days of fasting and prayer in, um, in January. i got to tell you, I've just been amazed as I have read this book again and looked at specific stories and read them over and over. Just the actions and the activity and the effectiveness of the early church. You know, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, tell us all about what Jesus did, began to do, and teach. And you might could put an umbrella over those four books and call them the Acts of Jesus, the Messiah. I think that would be fair, don't you? And I think the book of uh, Acts could actually better be called the Acts of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Apostles. And that's what we've seen as we've been unpacking Acts over the past few weeks. The first week we talked about that Luke, the writer of the Gospel of Luke and the physician Luke and the, uh, the, the traveling companion of Paul uh, was a person who wrote the book of Acts, a first-hand account. And we talked a little bit about how the book of Acts got started. In the second week we unpacked the Holy Spirit. We talked about what we know the Holy Spirit is and we said the Holy Spirit was four things. The Holy Spirit is a gift. The Holy Spirit is the manifest presence of God. In the Old Testament, He was fire and wind. And in, in, in the New Testament, it, it's the Holy Spirit, the presence of God living inside of us. We said the Holy Spirit empowers us to witness. And the Holy Spirit ultimately, always, 100% of the time, will point people to Jesus. And then we said a couple of weeks ago, in the third week, that once the Holy Spirit began to work in that early church... It was like dropping an engine in an empty automobile. The Holy Spirit gave the power, the horsepower, and the energy needed for the disciples to carry on the mission. The Holy Spirit was the engine that produced the acts. And we talked about seven things two weeks ago that we learn in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit does and that a Spirit-filled church will be. We said a Spirit-filled church is a unified church. It's a bold and courageous church. It's a word-based church. It's a praying church. It's a giving church. It's a persecuted church. And it's a miracle-working church. And I shared with you then that I had actually came up with studying through the book of Acts 14 of these. And I said, I won't give them to you and we'll unpack them on two weeks. So I've got seven more I want to show you today. We're going to continue with that idea of seven more things that we see in the book of Acts that let us know what a spirit-filled church looks like. Now, when we talk about the church, we're not just talking about the church of the early church. We are. We're talking also about the global church. We're talking about the local church, and we're talking about you. When you're out, whether you're home or at Walmart or on your job or looking after your grandkids or going to the doctor, you are the church. So what we're going to talk about today is this, kind of what we did a couple weeks ago, that when we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that there are some things that we should look like as the church, as the church globally, locally, and personally. These are things that showed up in the book of Acts, in the lives of those men and women, and they should show up in our lives as well. Here's the, the first of the next seven I want to show you, and that is that a spirit-filled church is an obedient church. Now this, if you've been in this series, you might say, hey, we've already talked about that, and I hope you remember that because week one we said that the thing that got this whole thing going in the book of Acts was the fact that the disciples were obedient. Jesus had said, wait for the gift, the promise of the Holy Spirit. And everything that happens in the book of Acts pivots off of the last two things that Jesus said to his disciples. In Acts chapter 1 verse 4, he said, wait for the gift my Father promised which you've heard me talk about. And in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, he said, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. And those men and women, that first 120 made up of the 12 disciples, Jesus' mother, some other women, and some other disciples, waited for the promise of the Holy Spirit. And that 
engine of the Holy Spirit was dropped inside of them, and that's what motivated them to go. But it wouldn't have happened unless they'd have been obedient. And I've been sharing this with you every week, but I think it's so good that I'll share it one more time. And that is the powerful thing that blows me away when I look at the book of Acts is that they were so obedient to the words that Jesus said. Jesus was making, I called it in week one or maybe week two, we talk about the great commission and the great commandment. We call this the great prediction when Jesus said, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses. And Jesus' words when he said, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, it gave an outline for the book of Acts. Because in chapters 1 through 7, everything takes place in Jerusalem. Then the church is scattered and everything moves to Judea and Samaria. And then in chapters 13 through 28, the church moves to the end of the earth. And we see the disciples fulfilling the great commission. They're baptizing, they're making disciples, they're teaching everything. And so the first thing we need to know today is that a spirit-filled church will be an obedient church. Peter said it like this, to God's elect who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. Watch this. When we are filled with the Holy Spirit, that sanctifying work causes us to be obedient to Jesus Christ. So a spirit-filled church is an obedient church. Secondly, a spirit-filled church is a spirit-led church. There's the second captain obvious statement of the day. A spirit-filled church will be a spirit-led church. If I'm spirit-filled, then I will be spirit-led. I'm not just spirit-filled for an emotional feeling on Sunday mornings. I'm not just spirit-filled so I can uh, speak in tongues when the Holy Spirit comes upon me in a prayer language or, or however that might work. I'm not just filled with the Holy Spirit to just to give me goosebumps. I am filled with the Holy Spirit, not just to be obedient, but to be led by the Spirit. We saw this from the very beginning in Acts chapter 2. It says they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was the Holy Spirit that enabled them to speak in other languages. All throughout the book of Acts, we see the believers praying. They're asking for direction and the Holy Spirit leads them. One of the most powerful examples of that, one of my most favorite of those is found in Acts chapter 8 when the church is scattered and the disciples and the apostles begin to leave Jerusalem and Philip, who we don't hear a whole lot about in the Gospels, we hear a lot about Peter, James, and John, but we don't hear a lot about old Philip. But Philip gets highlighted in Acts chapter 8 and it tells us that an angel of the Lord... The Holy Spirit spoke to Philip and said, Go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem and Gaza. And I won't unpack that story, but you might remember that he, he sees an, uh, an Ethiopian eunuch on a chariot and he gets up, the, the eunuch's uh, reading from Isaiah, and he jumps up in there and leads him to the Lord and winds up baptizing him. Why? Because he was led by the Spirit. All throughout the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit leads them to know who to put in leadership, how to take care of needs, who to send to which city, what ministry teams to put together, how and when to move away from the Jewish laws, when to include the Greeks, the Romans, and the Gentiles. Paul said it like this in Galatians, If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. So if you want direction for your life, you want to be Spirit-led, it starts with being Spirit-filled. And if I'm Spirit-filled, then I'm going to be Spirit-led. Amen? It's kind of like this. My, I've used this illustration before, but it, it just perfectly fits to me when we talk about being led by the Spirit and walking in the Spirit. All three of my kids were, were in marching band in high school. Two of the three were drum majors, which means they were up on the podium and did a lot of directing and leading. But in marching band, the key for marching band to work on the football field is that that 200 students uh, at, the, at Effingham, at, in their marching band, they've got to walk in sync with each other. I was in marching band way long time ago in the 1920s, 
And I can remember that the way they taught us, we would, we would line up and we'd have to watch the shoulders and the feet of the people in front of us. And we were taught how to roll our feet. We were taught how to stay in line. And it was all about keeping in step with everybody else around us. And a marching band keeps in step by watch. they got to be watching, not just, they can't just watch their feet. They've got to watch the feet of those in front of them. And ultimately, they've got to be watching the director. Our director is the Holy Spirit. And when we keep our eyes and our attention on Him, He will lead us in the direction we need to go. We do that by keeping our face and our nose in here. More than in the news. Now, amen it. Go home and do it this week. Get your face out of the news. All you're going to do is be discouraged and, and upset and frustrated. Get your face in this and it will help you out a lot. Better than a psychologist or a doctor or a pill. Be led by the Spirit. John says, he who abides in the Spirit ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Who's he? Jesus. So if we're walking in the Spirit, we'll walk as Jesus walked. So a Spirit-filled church is an obedient church. A Spirit-filled church is a Spirit-led church. A Spirit-filled church, I love this one, is an opportunistic church. That word opportunistic means eager or enthusiastic. When you read through the book of Acts, you see that these men and women were looking for opportunities to fulfill the mission. Looking for opportunities to be obedient. When you're walking in the Spirit, you'll not only look for opportunities, but you'll take them when they come. See, it's one thing to look for opportunities, but it's another thing entirely when the Holy Spirit gives them to you and then you're obedient to walk them out. But when you read this, all these stories about the early church, they were opportunistic in that they saw opportunities and they walked through the door. Watch this. Let me show you a few of them. Acts chapter 2. After the uh, 120 spilled out into the streets and began to speak in other languages, the, the glories and the wonders of God. Remember we talked about this in week two. The crowd said, oh, they're just drunk. They've had too much wine. And Peter stands up. It says in verse 14, Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. And he saw an opportunity and he took it. He made, uh, took advantage of that moment. Later on, the next chapter, Acts chapter 3, Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the 3 o'clock prayer service. They had been doing this many, many times before. As they approached the temple, a lame man from birth was being carried in. And Peter and John say, oh, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for God to do something through us. Acts chapter 3, verse 12, after that lame man was healed, and a crowd starts coming up and mumbling. And talking, what, what just happened? Oh, look at this. It says, Peter saw his opportunity and said, I got another opportunity to preach another sermon. Here we go. You want to know how this guy was healed? I'm going to tell you. Peter saw his opportunity. Acts chapter 8, a great wave of persecution began that day. This is after the believers were scattered. And the believers, except the apostles, were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria to do what? To fulfill what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, the opportunity. Okay, we're scattered. That's not going to cause us to say, okay, the mission's over. We're, we're outside of our comfort zone in Jerusalem. No, here's an opportunity. Jesus said to go to Judea and Samaria. All right, boys, here we go. Let's go. Acts chapter 8, verse 4, look at this. The believers who were scattered, once they were scattered, what did they do? They preached the good news about Jesus Where? Wherever they went, you want to know when you need to be talking about Jesus and where you need to be talking about Jesus? There it is. Wherever you go, an opportunistic church looks for those moments. And, and guys, this is one of the greatest ones ever. I mean, this is just like so cool that Luke includes this story. In Acts chapter 28, we get the story of Paul's shipwreck. And so it says that, after they had this shipwreck, you know, and you would think, okay, our whole mission at this point is to figure out how we're going to get to Rome. And Paul and, and his whole crew is, is shipwrecked. And look what it says. Near the shore where we landed was an estate belonging to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us and treated us kindly for three days. As it happened, anybody think that was just 
as it happened. No. Publius's father was ill with a fever and dysentery. And Paul saw an opportunity. Paul went in and prayed for him, laid his hands on him. He healed him. And guess what happened then? All the other sick people on the island heard about somebody who got healed. And they came and they were healed. So Paul could have said, man, we're just shipwrecked. Everything's a mess. And, and I don't know what to do. Our mission must be over because I know that God was trying to get me back to Rome. But no, Paul said, I'm here in this place and I'm going to take it as an opportunity for God to use me. As I'm saying that, it's coming into my mind to tell somebody that sometimes it's like your life seems to be wrecked and turned upside down and not landing in the place where you think it would land. And sometimes we want to sit and cross our arms and say, God, what do I do now? You keep on doing what you've been doing. You look for opportunities for God to use you despite the fact that your boat may be wrecked and your mission may seem like it's over or paused God may have paused your life for that moment to use you to show his glory to somebody else sometimes we think everything's got to be going perfect before God will use us sometimes it's in the middle of a shipwreck that God wants to use us to bring glory to Jesus do you think those folks on that island that was out in the middle of nowhere had heard about Jesus? Probably not. Do you think they knew about Jesus when Paul left? Yes, they did. And they had some signs and wonders to prove it. How amazing is that? So, a spirit-filled church is an obedient church. A spirit-filled church is a spirit-led church. And a spirit-filled church is an opportunistic church. A spirit-filled church is also a serving church. In all the amazing miracles and uh, just incredible displays of God's favor we see the church taking care of people in Acts chapter 2 they sold property and possessions to give to those in need in Acts chapter 4 they shared everything they sold houses and land to give to people in need in Acts chapter 6 they they came together and decided how they would distribute the food to widows who were in need now notice the progression that we've talked about this morning. A spirit-filled, obedient church leads to being spirit-led. And being spirit-led leads to having an opportunistic attitude. And having an opportunistic attitude leads to having a heart to serve others. See, what you don't see in the book of Acts is the early church coming to church... And you hear about them often going to Solomon's colonnade. We read about that. And that's one part of the temple where they would go to worship. And the believers, the believers in Jesus kind of took that area over at the time before they were run out by the Pharisees and the religious leaders. But what you don't see is them just going to church and worshiping and praying and getting, you know, just getting all filled up and then just going home. No. What God was doing on the inside of them got on the outside of them, and they had a heart to serve others. Let me say it to you like this. Another way to, to say a spirit-filled church is a serving church, you'll like this. A spirit-filled church is a love-your-city church. Okay? If you're new, that, that's our, you, you know it. That's our mission. We're a love-your-city church. That's been our mission now going on. I think this is our fourth year as a Love Your City Church. And man, I, just this week, well, over the last two weeks, I've had two or three phone calls of situations and people who had needs. And because you're so faithful to give, I was able to say, we got that. I got an email this week from the Manor House about a need. And I was emailing back and forth with them, and I said, we got it. Don't even ask anybody else. We're going to take care of that for you. Why? Because we're a love your city church. And, and, and because we pray, a part of our prayer in 21 days of fasting and prayer is to say, Lord, this year, bring us opportunities. And as they come, we'll walk through those doors. And it's like, do you, I don't really have to pray about a lot of that thing. Because we've already prayed and fasted about it. So as the opportunities come through the year, if it looks like, man, this is a good way to steward the, the, the money of the house that God's blessed us with, then absolutely. And so this week, we're gonna, Pastor Josh and I are going to go and, and uh, bless the manor house with, with a need that they had. 
Last week, somebody had a need. Texas, somebody in our church family had a need, and, and, and we, we helped them take care of that need. Stuff that happens all the time that you don't know about because you're faithful to give. Thank you for being faithful to give because if you're not faithful to give, then we can't do that. So God bless you for being faithful in giving and tithes and offerings and all of that. So a, a spirit-filled church is a serving church, and this is a serving church. You guys do amazing in the way that you look for opportunities to serve our community. Amen? A spirit-filled church is also a rejoicing church. Now, this, this is awesome. All throughout the book of Acts, the gospel spreads from person to person, church to church, and city to city. And when you read about this spread of the gospel... You always hear it described as a church that is constantly rejoicing. Despite the persecution, the threats, the trials, the physical punishment, the martyrs, and the imprisonment, we see the church consistent in their worship and their expressions of joy. Listen to some of these descriptions. Acts chapter 2, it says, they ate. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with what kind of hearts? Glad and sincere hearts. Doing what? Praising God and enjoying the favor of the people. Acts chapter 5. The apostles left the Sanhedrin. And this story is part of what we read a while ago. They had just been beaten and scourged and arrested. And they left what? Rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Acts 8.8. 8, People start getting saved, and so Luke says there was great joy in the city. Acts 8.39, remember that story we told a while ago about Philip, the opportunistic Philip who jumped in the chariot with the eunuch, and at the end of that story, after he saved and Philip baptized baptized him, it says, when he came out of the water, the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way, what? Rejoicing. Acts 13, 48, when the Gentiles heard this. Now the, now the word's getting over to the Gentiles, not just the Jews. They were what? Glad and honored the word of the Lord. Acts 15, 3, the Lord sent them on their way. And as they traveled throughout, throughout Phoenicia and Samaria, they told the Gentiles, told how the Gentiles had been converted. And this news made all the believers what? Very glad. Acts 16, 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and doing what? Singing hymns, worshiping God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. Acts 16.34, the end of that story, the jailer brought them into his house, set a meal before him. He was filled with joy because they had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This tells me that a spirit-filled church should be a glad church should be a praising church, should be a rejoicing church, a joyful church, a a celebrating church, a singing church, a victorious church, a church that's got some life in it. I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to be honest, you won't find me at a church without any life in it. If y'all die up here, I'll go somewhere else. But that ain't going to happen because this place is alive, amen? It's okay if we raise our voice in church. It's okay if we clap our hands. It's okay if we jump a little bit. I am so proud of these these students in this youth ministry who pack these first few rows. Sometimes they pack it in the first service. Sometimes they pack it in the second service. Sometimes they're here both services. And they're worshiping and jumping and, and praising God on Sunday morning. They do the same thing on Wednesday night. You guys join them in that. Why? Because a a spirit-filled church is a rejoicing church. There should be some energy and some life in the room. Well, I just don't, I'm just not that emotional, Pastor. You want me to say the thing that preachers have been saying my whole life? Oh, if I go watch you watching a ball game, I bet you'll be emotional. If you can get emotional about the Bulldogs or the Braves, my goodness. Something that don't matter and teams that don't even have to win and disappoint us all the time, my goodness, how much more emotional and excited and glad and rejoicing and happy should we be about a Savior who overcame death, hell, and the grave somebody and guaranteed us eternal life. Put a smile on your face, even behind those masks back there. I can see you're smiling because your eyes are squinting. Praise the Lord. 
should be a rejoicing church, smiling church, excited. So a spirit-filled church is an obedient church, a spirit-led church, an opportunistic church, a serving church, a rejoicing church. And number six, a spirit-filled church is a growing church. Now watch this. Because the numbers prove it all throughout the book of Acts. Acts chapter 1, they start with 120 believers. Acts chapter 2, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Look at this. So every day more people are added. Acts chapter 2 verse 41, we've got a number now. It grows to what? 3,000. That's pretty good numbers. 120 to 3,000. Acts chapter 4, it grows to what? 5,000. Acts chapter 5 it says more and more believers were added. Acts chapter 6, the believers what? Rapidly multiplied. Not addition, multiplication. I like multiplication better than addition when it comes to souls. Now on paper, I hate multiplication. Addition is a little bit easier. But Lord, in the house of God, let it be multiplication. Amen? Get out the calculators. Acts chapter 11, a great many people were brought to the Lord. And Acts chapter 17 it tells us that many Jews and Greeks believed in Berea because of Paul and Silas's ministry. A spirit-filled church is a growing church. How were they growing? They were growing from conversion growth, from salvation growth, from lives that were being transformed. Why? It's simple. It's real simple why they were growing. People were witnessing. It's not rocket science. It, you don't have to get out the biggest theological book. People were witnessing about Jesus everywhere they went. Now, they had an advantage that we didn't have because this was all brand new. There weren't any Christians but 120, so it was a brand new message and you better believe it, it had only been like six weeks since Jesus was on a cross and had died and, and, and it, the, Paul says in Acts that there was, or, um, somebody says in Acts, it's, it's somewhere in there, Somewhere in, in the Bible, it's in there somewhere, that like 500 people saw Jesus alive. So the buzz is in this whole community. People are buzzing about it. So it was an atmosphere that gave way for people to be saved, right? Now, of course, today we deal with all of the, the black eyes that the church has and the, the church leaders and church people who have let us down and disappointed us. The hypocrites. I am not going to go to church. It's just not a bunch of hypocrites there. You know, anybody heard those things before? So we deal with all that. We, we deal with 2,000 years worth of, of that jump, right? But the church grew because people were witnessing about Jesus. And when we get filled with the Spirit, I believe this with all my heart, we're going to grow. A spirit-filled church is a growing church. Is it possible that we're not seeing conversion growth? Now, now we see growth all the time because people move into the area. They're new. People are coming from one church to another. I'm not talking about that. And that's fine. That happens, okay? But is it possible we're not growing and seeing conversion growth because we're not witnessing I'm going to get on your front porch and mine too right here, okay? Sometimes we're really good about telling our saved friends about our awesome church, our awesome youth ministry, our awesome kids ministry and worship. Come check out my church, our saved friends. We got a lot of unsaved friends who need to know it too, y'all. And Lord, help us that we will not just grow because... We're in a growing community, and people are moving to the area. And people say, you know, something happened at my church, and i I, I got I to find a new place. Man, y'all got it going on. Praise the Lord for that. But God, help us also to grow because people are being converted, and their lives are being transformed. There's plenty of people out there, y'all, who don't know Jesus. You work with them. You stand in line behind them. They're your family. They're your friends. They're your neighbors. A growing church, a spirit-filled church is a growing church. And let me, let me just I'll say one more thing and I'll get off your porch. Sometimes we're not seeing conversion growth as Christians. And this hits me too. So I'm, I 
point at you and there's one pointing back at me because we don't have any unsafe friends. Is that fair? We get so much into church and we look around and we say, well, do I even have any unsafe friends or family members that I'm, I'm close to? Maybe if we don't, then we need to start changing something so we can be salt and light. Is that okay? All right. I'm off your porch now. We'll go to the last point. Jack, if you'll give me some, some music since there's nobody to call to play today. So we said a spirit-filled church is an obedient church, a spirit-led church, an opportunistic church, a serving church, a rejoicing church, a growing church. You know all those now? You memorize them all? Here's the last one. A boundless church. Now, this is so cool, y'all. You're going to love this. A spirit-filled church is a boundless church. What does that mean? Well, when you read through the book of Acts, one of the things that you see is as the word of God is growing and spreading and the church is moving, the disciples and the apostles face a lot of opposition and often they wind up in jail. Watch this. Acts chapter 4, verse 3, Peter and John are put in jail. Acts chapter 5, they arrest the apostles and put them in jail. That's what we read in our opening text. Acts chapter 12, Peter is put in prison and chained between two soldiers. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. Acts chapter 21, Paul is arrested and put in chains. Acts chapter 28, Paul is on house arrest as we close out the book of Acts. But there's something about all of those examples, it's pretty amazing. See, you can't lock up a spirit-filled church. You can lock those believers up. You can double-chain them. Put all kinds of locks on the door and guards, and you see it. It's like throughout the book of Acts. Every time they arrest them, they keep adding more guards and more prisoners because it's like they're all a bunch of Houdinis. They keep escaping. Great escape artist. I mean, in the book of Acts, it's pretty amazing. But every time they get arrested, God does something amazing. That's why I'm calling them a spirit-filled church is a boundless church. You can't bound, you can't bind the church. Jesus broke all the chains, physical and spiritual, when he rose from the grave. Now watch this. Acts, let's, let's walk back through those examples on the screen. Acts chapter 3, Peter and John are put in jail, but, watch this, the church grew from 3,000 to 5,000. Go look it up in your Bible. Right after they're put in jail, 2,000 more people grow. 2,000 more people are saved. It's pretty awesome. Acts chapter 5, they arrest the apostles, they put them in jail, but an angel came at night, opened the gates, and brought them out. Acts chapter 12, Peter is put in prison. He's put in chains between soldiers, but a bright light shines. An angel shows up. The chains fall off. They pass by one, two guard posts, and the iron gates of the city, and he's let out. Acts chapter 16, Paul and Silas are in prison, but at midnight they're praying. They're singing hymns. There's a massive earthquake. The prison is shaken to its foundations. The doors fly open. The chains fly off, fall off, and the jailer, and his whole family gets saved. And Paul and Silas are exonerated and kicked out of town. And they're just like, well, we'll just go somewhere else and preach. Acts chapter 21. Paul gets arrested and is put in chains but winds up preaching the gospel to the mob who had arrested him. Somebody say Paul's a man. My goodness, look at Paul. And then this one, y'all. Oh, my goodness, I love this. Acts chapter 28, Paul is on house arrest in Rome. This is how Luke closes the book of Acts. Paul is on house arrest in Rome, but because of the Holy Spirit and the plan of God, he lives in his own house, he leads a small group, and he preaches and teaches Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. Look at this verse, Acts 28. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house, 
and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and talk, taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. A spirit-filled church is a boundless church. You can't bind the church. You know how that applies to you and me? Some of us need to hear this today. Because of what Jesus did on the cross, more importantly because of the empty tomb, there's nothing that the enemy can bring against you. No weapon formed against you can, can harm you. There's not an addiction that can keep you bound. There's not a sin that can keep you bound. There's not anything about your past that can keep you bound. Because in Jesus we have all freedom. What happened in the book of Acts in all those example and all those examples what happened in the physical God wants to do in our lives in the spiritual those are not just examples for us to see physical things and, and amazing feats that God did but it's also for us to see that in the spirit those things that keep us bound that we seem to be locked down by that the Holy Spirit has the power to break those chains in our lives. We've already sang it this morning, chain breaker. Sang about a way maker. That in the name of Jesus, there's power and freedom and liberty. Amen? So if, you're, if there's something in your life today that's just kind of keeping you bound up as a spirit-filled believer, you don't have to live that way. So let's look at these seven one more time right before we pray and we let you go today. A spirit-filled church is an obedient church, a spirit-led church, an opportunistic church, a serving church, a rejoicing church, a growing church, and a boundless church. The book of Acts. So here's my question for us today. Something for us to think about. Obviously, there was plenty of stories for Luke. And we, we didn't scratch the surface, y'all, of all the stories in, in the book of Acts. We have to come back and do a part two at some, some point. Plenty of stories. Could a book be written about the church today could a book of Acts be written about the church in America today let's talk about our front porch right here could a book be written about the Acts of the Rinkin Church of God today I think we're getting there I think we're on the right path. We, we talked about it. If you'll remember the last Sunday in November, I kind of gave you a, a report. Talked about all the amazing things and ways that God is using this church. And every now and then we'll talk about that. So I think we're getting there. We've not arrived yet. We're not patting ourselves on the back. that we, We've made it. There's too many unsaved people, too many ungodly people around us in this county and in this area who still need Jesus. Amen. So, yeah, that hits us. To, it hits me today when I'm writing it and looking back at it. I'm like, yeah. We need to think about that. Today, are we living in such a way that a book could be written about the acts of the Rinkin Church of God, of the church in America, of you and your family? What are you doing? Not to earn your salvation. You can't earn it. It's free. You're already there. But to live the spirit-filled life the way these disciples did. Because I'm telling you, I believe with all my heart, we are just in the beginning, in the last year of a season of sifting for the church in America. going to be a lot of people over the next few years possibly that you go to church with here that you don't see anymore because there's a sifting coming 
to the church. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean in an ungodly culture that we live in, in a cancel culture that we live in, lukewarm Christians are going to start disappearing. They're going to have more excuses not to be at church. And serve in the church and give. And before you know it, what happened to that family? There's a sifting coming. Here's something else that's coming. The same power of the Holy Spirit that empowered those men and women in the book of Acts to do the things that they did under the relentless pressure and persecution that they faced is the same Holy Spirit that fills you and I that when we do cut on the news and we do feel overwhelmed at the culture and the tide that seems to be turning in our nation that we can say it does not at the end of the day really matter what goes on in Washington what matters is what happened on the day that tomb was empty and what those disciples did with it and the fact that now it's up to you and I to carry the ball. So the fact is, for the ball for your family, will it be left on the front porch and you go in a hole, you and I go in a hole, or are we going to say, no, it's our turn. Trust and I were talking about this yesterday. She said, I believe there's a reason why even in all the the warts and the problems and next week we're going to start talking about the church and you're like well we ain't talking about the church we're really going to start talking about the church next week in a new series I'm going to begin the church has got a lot of things wrong through the years right we've got a lot of things wrong I'm a part of that man I've been part of the church now almost 50 years But there's a reason why God has you and I here at this time in history. Because he believes in us. I told you the first week when Jesus looked at the disciples, he delegated the responsibility to them because he believed in them. Those were the men to carry the ball in, at that time. And you and I are the men and women that God has called to carry the ball at this time. Don't drop the ball. You can do it. You've been called to do it on your job, in your family, with your kids, with your grandkids, and your places of influence. God has called you to be salt and light. Don't give up. Don't become lukewarm. Don't get lost in the shuffle. No matter how tough it gets, realize that the power of the Holy Spirit, greater is He that is in you than in He that is in the world. Amen. Amen. Will you stand to your feet this morning? Let's give God praise for that. Amen. Come on, give God praise today. Hallelujah. Come on. God, we thank you for that today. And Lord, this morning as we come to the close of this service, Lord, we, uh, we see that, and we're thankful, God, for what you're doing through us and in us as a church. But God, we pray that you would use us in greater ways as individuals and our families. May we not be found to be lukewarm. May we be on fire for you, filled with the Holy Spirit, available, God, for you to use like never before. Jack, if you wouldn't mind, put those, that last list up there on the screen for us to see. And this is how I want us to pray this morning. That we would be, that you as an individual would be. Because you as an individual are the church, and we together are the church. We're just going to pray through those prayer points right now. And I'm going to pray those over you, your family, over our church. And I want you to pray those over yourself this morning. And if you this morning want to say, Pastor, I'm in, I'm in. I want, to, I want to be a part of a church and the church of Jesus Christ. It's everything I read on that screen. Will you lift your hands all over this room as we pray? Lord, right now we lift our hands in this place as a signal of surrender and dependence upon you today, God, saying, Lord, help us to be filled with the Spirit so that we can be an obedient church. 
God, may we walk in obedience to your word. God, we pray today that we'll be a spirit-led church. We'll be led to the people that you want us to go to. We'll be led to the jobs that you want us to be employed at. We'll be led, those who aren't married, to the spouses you want us to marry. God, we'll be led to those who are, who are outcast and, and away from you, God, in, a, in our community and in our neighborhood. God, we pray that we would be an opportunistic church. Lord, we pray that we would not just see opportunities, but we would take the opportunities that you give us. That, Lord, we won't just pray for them, but, God, when they come, no matter how busy or tired or stressed out we may be, we'll take those. Lord, we pray we'll be a serving church. That, Lord, every time you open up an opportunity for us to give of our time, of our talents, of our resources, that, God, we will see that is an opportunity that comes from you. Lord, we pray we'll be a rejoicing church. God, I pray there'll be an energy and a joy and an excitement in this house every week that transforms our lives and we take it out with us and that people on the job and in the grocery store and at the mall and in our homes and our neighborhoods say what's going on with them. There's something different about them. There's a joy and a gladness that they have. Lord, may we be a rejoicing church. God, we pray that we be a growing church. Oh, somebody pray this with me. God, help us today to grow from conversion growth. Lord, there's so many people who don't know you. God, help us to lead our ministries in such a way on this campus and live our lives in such a way off of this campus, Lord, that we see souls brought to you who don't know Jesus. And God, may we be a boundless church. Lord, may we not be bound with the addictions and the problems and the depression and the anxiety of this world. But God, may we know that the Scripture says, whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And God, as we, as you set those disciples and apostles free, May you set us free, God, from every addiction, from every chain, from everything that holds us back today. We praise you for that today in Jesus' name. God, use us as individuals. Use us as the Rinkin Church of God to be a spirit-filled church. May we be a light in a dark place no matter where we go. And God, may it not be for the glory of our name, but for the glory of of your name, Jesus. We praise you for it. Will you give God praise today that he's heard that prayer and he's going to empower us and touch us and use us in mighty ways. Amen. Amen. Hey, I love you and I, I can't ever say how, how blessed Tressa and I am to be your pastors and to serve this church and to serve God with you and to, to love God with you. I believe with all my heart the greatest days of the church in America are ahead and the greatest days for Rinkin Church of God are ahead. Amen. Because God is moving in this church. God is using and blessing through you and through through everything that's going on here and I'm just excited to see what's going to happen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great afternoon. Stay dry. Have a happy Valentine's Day. Husbands, love your wives today. And uh, we'll see you back here Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. God bless you.